And then we came together for worship. Thing is, back in my days, we'd go to church Sunday night, and we'd be there Wednesday night, too. I'm, I'm not quite sure when we did anything else. We were always in church. Things start to change with time. I don't know if it's uh, for the better, necessarily. But uh, one of the things we realize that we miss out on is being together as families to be able to worship. So, kids, thanks for being here today, and you're able to join us and lead in worship. Not only uh, when we were singing, I was hearing more volume, I thought, with the kids being in here but also the reality that your attentiveness and your heart and your hunger to learn and grow from God is huge. Um, Debbie Gibbler, I noticed there's the prayer board back here. Is that correct? And so kids, they usually do their prayer cards and uh, prayer requests for the week. Uh, Those of us on the praying team, we get those, and I'm always touched by how sincere and deep many a times the prayer requests are of our children. And so the prayer board's back there, and you can write the card and stick it on the twine or whatever. And adults, if you have prayer requests, you can do that as well, or as always, on the back of your connection card every week, you can list your prayer concerns, and we pray for those. Let me pray. Jesus, I was singing that song, desiring that you would set a fire down in my soul and that I would have more of you. And Lord, I don't know if we just sort of sing words sometimes or we actually allow those words to truly be representative of our testimony and offer them to you. Or maybe the words sometimes, Lord, I know it was true of me this morning, come as a question mark. Do I really want more of you or do I want more of something else? I pray here, God, as we go back to your word and Jesus, as we look at your words that you wrote to real people, that we would be attentive to your spirit's prompting in our heart for whatever word you want to speak to us today. We don't come as spectators, chair sitters, mind wanderers. We come as a people desperately in need of more of you. And so to that end, Lord, we pray that your word would be applied to our hearts in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have a smartphone? Uh, Raise your hand. You got a smartphone? Some of you kids are going, I wish, right? right, A smartphone. Now, I remember when you had the flip phones and then the smartphone started to come out. And I remember, and my son will remember this, I was sitting in uh, my living room back in Indiana a few years ago, and I heard this word app. And I had no idea what app really meant. Now, I have a systems analyst background. It's one of my degrees. But I never understood that they were actually making little miniature computer programs and putting them on these smartphones. And I could download an app, an application for whatever maybe I desired at that time. Now, applets, the apps have just sort of flooded over the years, right? So there's all kinds of apps. And if you have a smartphone, you have apps on that phone. One at a time, yell it out. What are some of your favorite apps that you want to make sure are on your phone? Maps, Google Maps. What? You version. Oh, the Bible? Yes, what else? Daily bread. Daily bread. Oh, you people are so spiritual. Facebook. There we go. What other apps? What? Banking. Oh, yeah, you got to have your banking on there, all your credit cards. Starbucks. You got a Starbucks app? What else? Twitter, 
Pandora. Thank you, Gene. You get the prize. Here, you can have my sucker, Gene. Good job. There is the Awakening app. You betcha. You can download messages. Well, well, one last chance all at once. Yell your favorite app. One, two, three. What, what do you think would be Jesus' favorite app? Well, I tell you what, I thought about that this week. And one of the apps that uh, I, well, I sort of have a, I suppose there's multiple versions of it. I really don't use it, but it's a health app. You ever have apps that tell you how far you walk or exercise or other things? In fact, you can, you know, you can have watches now that have the heart rhythm on the back, keep track of you. I think one of the apps that Jesus would have on his smartphone is not a physical health app. He wouldn't necessarily need that, right? I mean, he's God. He's a, no need for health there. He is the one who gives everything life. God, I think, would have a church health app. And he would pull up his church health app and he would see a list of churches. And Back in the early days, I think he would have pulled up his church health app and he would have had those seven churches in Asia Minor on his smartphone. And he would say, how are they doing? How's their heartbeat? We talked about different churches over the last number of weeks. or sort of heading towards the conclusion of this On the Brink series. But he looked at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, today Philadelphia, in two weeks Laodicea, and then on the 21st we're going to do the Awakening Church Health look. How about that? Now last week Sardis was the church that had an appearance of being alive, but it was dead. And so he probably looked on his phone and said, Ah, Sardis, how's Sardis doing these days? Oh, oh, that's not good. Oh, my gosh, is there a pulse there, right? Well, what do you think he would say to the next church today? And we're going to be looking at that. We walk through each of these churches, and we're now down in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is about 30 miles southeast of Sardis. Philadelphia has um, uh, a lot of familiarity, actually, that area did. It was rich in fertile soil, and it had um, a lot of vineyards, believe it or not. And so Revelation 3, 7 that starts out says the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? And visually in the mind of Christ, he would have known of the fertile area. Now, the church that was in Philadelphia was a very, very small church. The church in Philadelphia had, uh, had its struggles because the area had had its struggles. Philadelphia was born in about 190 B.C. It was named Philadelphia by the king of Pergamum at the time. And the king of Pergamum, which was just north, had a brother, a brother he really, really loved. And he started Pergamum. And we know Philadelphia is the word that means brotherly love or the love of a brother. And so when he started Philadelphia, he started it, the name stuck, 
It took off. It had some neat things going, but it was prone in that area to a lot of earthquakes. And we can be familiar with the earthquakes in Southern California, right? In fact, several areas were destroyed at different times by earthquakes. And in 17 AD, Sardis was uh, one of those that was destroyed, but not nearly as bad in one sense as Philadelphia was. And so they never knew when things were going to be shaken up and stuff destroyed and stuff have to be rebuilt. In fact, the Romans at the time who were leading over that area, Philadelphia was uh, given um, abatement of their tribute to Rome, free of taxes for five years. So that was a pretty nice deal. Problem is Domitian was the emperor of Rome at the time thereafter, and he got a little concerned that uh, the vineyards in Philadelphia were starting to top the vineyards in Rome, Italy. And so he had all the vineyards destroyed in Philadelphia. That'd sort of be like, don't you think, Temecula Valley starting, you know, uh, to become the envy of Napa or something like that. And then they come and destroy all the wine country. That would not go over well, now would it? So Philadelphia, it had its ups and downs a little bit. It was not a very large area. Philadelphia, as you saw where it was mapped out, was actually on the... um, Uh, frontier, if you will, of Europe going into the Orient, to Asia. And it was seen as a front door to many of uh, the pressing cultural issues that they wanted to see expand, the Greek culture. And so that's where it was situated. That was some of its commerce. It was actually located a lot on a hill. And we have this beautiful letter that's written to them from Jesus. So Jesus pulls up his smart app. He checks out the church at Philadelphia, how it's doing. And then Jesus decides to send back a text message. It could be an email, but the reality is him talking to each of these seven churches, there wasn't a lot that he said. Any of you sit down to write a letter to somebody you love and you just sort of pour out your heart and it goes page after page after page. Part of me is like, are these the condensed versions here? He was succinct. He was clear. He knew what he wanted to say. Again, these are the words of Jesus himself as revealed to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, which was off the coast of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And he said, I want you to write these words down. I want you to send them to the seven churches because modern technology doesn't allow Wi-Fi yet or Internet. I want you to get the word to these churches. This is what I'm thinking. Now, as we've walked through these seven churches, we've been taken back by the vision of who Jesus was as recorded in Revelation to John, by words of commendation, and then by words of condemnation and challenge that's sort of been how the ebb and flow's gone and then some encouragement at the end let's see if this email this text falls into the same line related to the church in the city of brotherly love and what i'm going to do is i just want you to listen to these words now, you can follow along if you got your scripture but We're just going to read through them before we start to parse them out. Listen to the voice of Jesus. 
to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is there anything that strikes you about this particular letter versus the other letters that we have looked at, with maybe the exception of Smyrna? Jesus says, I know your works. And then he goes on to do what? Commend them. And then you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Okay, you're commending us. Thank you for that. Now what do I got to do? And he doesn't say anything. He just commends them. He blesses them. He admires their faithfulness. They're good. They're good to go. You're like, really? Is there anything anything else I need? Now, kids, you know that sometimes when you get into these conversations with your parents, especially if they say, we need to have a little talk, your parents will sit down and they'll try to cushion it really well. They'll say, I love you so much and I'm so proud of you in so many ways, right? All these things going on. But then you're waiting for the comma, but. And then there's going to be this instruction that says, but... We've really got to change some things here in this household. We've got to improve how we're cleaning the room or how we're getting the homework done, right? We are brought up from a young age to receive instruction, and many times that instruction is in a manner that we're not measuring up. When you get your test score back from school, you immediately look at the grade, but then you look at the ones you missed. And you go, oh, man, I could have had that. I knew that when I changed the answer. Right? When you are in athletics and you're training and things are maybe going well, your coach is going to step in and your coach is going to say, this is your weak spot. You need to improve in this area. We are conditioned as human beings, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, right? We want to improve. We want to do better. But we're conditioned as human beings um, that we need to, to make another step, measure up, step, step ahead, improve, do something better than we're currently doing. Jesus pulls down his app for the church at Philadelphia. Brotherly love, folks. He commends them. Stops right there. And is there another email coming, another text message? And no. He's pleased. Now, does that mean the church of Philadelphia was perfect? Of course the church was not perfect. It's full of human beings. And as human beings, we are not perfect. But Jesus 
saw this church, the health app read, healthy, alive, vibrant, be blessed. This is really the main thing I want you to take away today. Because it's the main thing I had to take away this week. And it's this. God's favor rests not on our perfection, but on faithfulness, both his and ours. Are you a driven person? Does your spouse sometimes tell you that your drivenness is wreaking havoc in the relationship, and the home? Does your spouse sometimes just say chill and enjoy? Do you have a hard time going on vacation? Resting, relaxing, or are you worrying about what you're going to do when you get back from vacation? What needs to happen next? All the things that we live in a driven kind of world, and, and we always know there's more things we need to measure up and be doing, 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 and accomplish this or that, that we get ourselves caught up in a ball of anxiety. And sometimes God just says, let it go. We could sing that song, right? Let it go. Just let it go. And be blessed. Be encouraged by the faithfulness. Now, the reason I say that this was my one thing and because it was one thing for me is because I have a really hard time with this. Because sometimes, even though I know there's nothing I can do to gain his favor, if you will, it's what he's done, not what I do. I go from a salvation of grace to a life of works. Have you done that? Maybe recently. Oh, yeah, I'm saved by grace and God's goodness in my life. I committed my life to follow him. But now you're measuring up your life. You roll out of bed in the morning. And once you realize, oh, my gosh, well, everything i got to do, i got to get a shower and get going. I'm running late. Then you start to dial in a little bit God's presence in your life. But then you're thinking to yourself, oh, I, I miss my devotions again. Or there's other things I'm not accomplishing. Or, man, I'm still flirting with this hidden escapist kind of sin in my life. And I know that he's going to just hang that over me. There's something in your life that where you've moved from this life of grace to a life of works. Now, I'm mindful that with the other churches, Jesus had words of condemnation or challenge. So we know that Jesus instructs us in that. But it could be that you're in a season of life where Jesus, if he pulls up the, not the church health app, but your soul health app, he would just want you to know today, you're good. You're good. Your faithfulness, challenge, be blessed. And you need to breathe that in, drink it in. Because God wants you to enjoy his pleasure. Guess what? You're not in control. He's in control. There's a couple of verses I want to just associate with this thought. The first comes out of 1 John 1, 7 says, if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Whose work is it? It's his work. Don't be foolish. Don't be naive. But you confess your sins before the Lord with one another, and, and, and his, his covering, his grace is there. We have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with him. 
2 Timothy 2.11 says this, This is a trustworthy saying, If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, guess what? He remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So if you're determining your church, your soul health this morning based off of what you've done or not done, let's take a few steps back and reflect on the fact that God remains faithful to us even in spite of our faithlessness. And this church in Philadelphia was not a perfect church, but it was a faithful church. And God's favor rests not upon our perfection, but it rests upon faithfulness his faithfulness and then our faithfulness so to the angel of the church in philadelphia write these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of david what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open he starts off this uh, email to the philadelphia church he says you need to know this now he's not going to go grab revelation one And what was described in that vision that John had of Jesus, you know, his head was white, his wool, his eyes blazing fire, his feet like burnished bronze. He doesn't go back and tie into that vision. He ties into other things. The one who is holy. What's holy mean? Sinless. The one who is perfect himself. He is the one who stands before them, who stands before you and I this morning. It's Jesus. This isn't, hey, the God that's way out there. This is Jesus who walked through the door, who revealed himself to John. The Jesus who says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Jesus, who is here to meet with you, to speak to your heart today, he stands before you. And he says, I am the Holy One. And don't let the Holy One scare you. That means he's pure. He's without blemish. He's without sin. He is the one who is fully righteous and upright. And he is the one who's able to do something with your brokenness. I am the one who is holy. And I am true. All truth abides with me. I have family in town this week. I spent three days on the beach. That was probably over the top for me. But as long as I'm on the beach and I'm able to be in the shade underneath an umbrella, I'm good to go. And uh, I can read. And I finished up a novel this week. I'd actually been reading for the last year. And I... Uh, it's a great novel. If you want a novel, I'll give this recommendation. It was recommended to me. It was sent to me by somebody who just loved it. And it came down to the end, and it just finished. Wow, finished out really well. But one of the statements that was in the last part that I was reading was a statement that simply said this. God cannot believe. God can only know. I'm like, that's deep. Let me think about that again. God cannot believe, because we believe in those things that we're uncertain of, or no, I, I have this belief of. God does He is the one who is holy, and it's true. All truth, God knows. He doesn't sit around and go, I think I can believe that. No, He knows. I thought, that's a good thought. The one who is holy, the one who knows all truth, He stands before you and I today. He sits beside you in your seat. He puts His arm around you, like Gene's putting His arm around his wife over there, and He says, I know what's going on. And he may come to you after looking at his soul app and just want to encourage you today. Not instruct you. Not you to tell you to get up and get at it, get on to the next thing or do this or do that. He just wants to encourage you. I'm the one who is holy and true. And then he says this, I hold the keys of David. 
Now, when he said that, they knew what he's talking about. We don't have time. You could flip back to Isaiah and, and see where this reference is given, what it means. But the keys of David meant to a Jewish person that God, Yahweh himself, was in control of all things. I've got the keys. Any of you want to give me your keys to your car right now? Most likely, unless your spouse has a set, you are not going to control that vehicle out of here if I have your keys. I can control your vehicle. You want to give me the keys to your house? If you locked it, maybe you have another set with you, maybe not. But if you don't have another set with you and I have the keys to your house, guess who controls getting into your house? Keys represent authority. And Jesus is saying to them, I am holy, I am true, all-knowing, and I am in control. Now, as I mentioned last week, for us political junkies sometimes, we were in heaven between the two conventions, all right? Second convention was in Philadelphia. How about that, right? The DNC. But you sort of watch the political clamor, and sometimes I catch some things on Facebook here and there. Don't get paranoid. I'm not judging or doing anything. Because I have my own angst about the way the country's going and what needs to happen. But I think Christians are sometimes getting all balled up in worry. You know what I'm saying? And you need to know who has the keys. The keys of David. The keys, he is in control. Even when terrorist acts happen or other things happen on the Supreme Court or elections maybe don't go your well. Friends, Jesus is in control. You need to remind yourself of that on a regular basis. I hold the keys of David and then he says this. He who opens what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts... No one can open. What's that referring to? Keys, the door, control. He has them. And so maybe there's that jingle you need to hear in his pocket. Your day, and he says, I'm in control. Yeah, I know that's happening at your workplace, and that's just not, that's not right. Sin does abound, and it abounds even through coworkers. But I have the keys. I'm in control. These are words that they needed to hear. There were words they needed to hear because in Philadelphia they were being put on the outside. At that time, Christians were no longer seen as part of the Jewish religion. They were becoming seen as a sect. They were seen as a problem, and so they were being pushed out the door. This may very well be the analogy that's represented here, and he says, I have the keys to the door. And so if even if you get shut out of the door, if your name gets marked off a list, that you don't have the right to practice your religion, do not worry. I have the keys. Now, this verse, Revelation 3.8, is the second thing I really want to position to you today. The first is that the favor of God does not rest on your life. Defined by what's going on in your life. The favor is because of faithfulness. His faithfulness and your faithfulness. Take delight in him. But this is the second challenge that comes here. In Revelation 3.8, he says, I know your deeds. And this is a good, I know your deeds. Like, I've been watching behind closed doors. I know what you're doing. He says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door 
that no one can shut. Now, part of this is reference that Philadelphia was seen as sort of an open door, as I mentioned, to uh, the rest of Asia, the Orient, and it was encouraged for them to be able to position Greek culture, the Greek language at the time. In fact, it passed uh, to that's what they spoke. And so they were known as sort of a gateway kind of community to the east. And so it says, I know your doors. I placed before you an open door that no one can shut. But the open door maybe that was being placed before them wasn't an open door for culture. Maybe it was an open door for the kingdom and the work of God. We find in other places in Scripture reference to open doors. The Apostle Paul, there is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I come to, came to the city of Tros to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He proclaimed that he was a door, a doorway into truth, a doorway into salvation, a doorway into hope. A doorway represents opportunity. And Jesus is wanting this church in Philadelphia to know the opportunity that they've been giving is wide open. Now, Philadelphia was a small church. It was a small church. I mean, doesn't Jesus say to every small church, what's your problem? Get going. Grow. Grow what? Grow spiritually? Grow numerically? He's not looking, really, at numerical growth on the app of any church. I think he's looking for health and vitality. Passion. Set a fire down in my soul. I want to know you. Right? He's looking for passion and vitality. And apparently this church in the land of where a brother loved a brother had a vibrant faith. So if he looks at your life and my life, he looks at our church, the awakening, is there that passion and that life? Because wherever there is health, there will be growth. Wherever there is health, there will be growth. And so the Apostle Paul was looking for open doors of opportunity. And could it be that I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut? That what's referenced here isn't just, and there's different ways you can look at it, an open door of salvation. Yes. I placed before you an open door of coming into my kingdom. Yes. I placed before you an open door of blessing and treasure. In my kingdom, yes. And you'll find different people use this verse to interpret it that way. And it's probably both those as well. But I believe this third aspect, it's a doorway of opportunity related to influence of those who do not know Jesus Christ. And he says to this small little group of people, I'm going to open a door. I'm going to open a door, have at it. And if I open a door, no one's going to shut it. Do you think that Jesus shuts the door on some churches? He does. I firmly believe that. It's what I get up every morning for, and I say, Lord, may we be faithful today. May we be faithful in my life as a leader of a church. May I lead us to be a faithful body. Because if Jesus shuts the door, then we all might as well go home. Right? But... If you've been in church seasons, and there's different seasons with churches, believe me, I've been through a few myself, where sometimes God just kicks open the door and He says, have at it, have an influence. Be of encouragement to this community or these households. And you sit back in your church or as a leader sometimes and you go, wow, I must be really cool, I must be really great. No. 
As I know, a lot of pastors are very, very faithful. But for whatever reason, and I'm not saying there's sin in their church by any means, but for whatever reason, the door hasn't been opened. And so God, through his son Jesus, speaks to this small group of people and he says, I am opening a door and no one's going to shut it. Don't you think that little band of Christians are like, whoa, yeah, set up more chairs. I'd set up more chairs today. I sort of forgot that we were having kids in here, right? Set up more chairs. Reach out more small groups. More opportunities for ministry. Do you pray for an open door for this church? Is that a regular part of your prayer life? Not for us, but for the sake of the valley. When this church started 10, 11 years ago now, I'm losing track of it. God plumped it down in French Valley and he said, here's an open door. And God blessed something that came from nothing. The beginning of the church. In Colossians 4, 2 and 6, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too, the Apostle Paul says, that God may open a door. I want you to commit to begin praying afresh for us at the awakening that God would open a door of opportunity and ministry for us in this valley as we head into the fall. Well, Carrie, hasn't it been open? I believe it's been open, but I think it needs to be kicked open further. And I want us to pray. And here's Paul asking them in Colossae to pray that God may open a door for our message It's not for us and our glory, but for the message of Jesus Christ, for Christ himself that changes lives, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's writing this from prison, and he's still focused on doors of opportunity for churches. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should through his writings and what he did. Be wise in every way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There's the word opportunity being associated with the way of door. Let your conversation be always full of doubt. Criticism. No. Be full of grace. And that's not just being kind. That's being full of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that he gives. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we need that in our world that has a lot of questioning going on. So the whole idea of a door, I believe, represents a door of opportunity to influence people. I want us to pray that God would kick open the door of opportunity in our valley, in your neighborhood, in your network of contacts, and in this political season, if you have any prayer, may you pray that there would be open doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our nation. That's where our heart needs to be centered. Do you remember this word, oikos? I pulled it back every few times. I pull it back again. Oikos is a Greek word that means household or family. In your networks, as we head towards the fall of fresh and new, there's probably 8 to 15 divinely placed people in your life that you need to be impacting for Christ. It could be a social arena, a school, a relative, a friend, work, 
neighbor, somebody else. I don't know, but where is the open door at in your life? So you see, when you get up, you're just not punching the clock. You're not checking in and checking out and waiting for, you know, the next activity for your children to come around or the next holiday. You are on a mission, and your mission is to look for the open doors of opportunity for you to influence people to come to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I was on a phone call yesterday uh, with, uh, yesterday, two days ago, I guess, with my mother. Back in Indiana, my mom's 84, 86, and um, she was having a little bit lonelier week because my sister's here and some family members, and she says, yeah, it's sort of gone slow. It's been hot and muggy and stuff, and she says, don't have a lot of people really to talk to, interact with, and I said, that's why I called you, Mom, and so we parked for an hour and talked. But while we're talking about this subject, she brings up that she went to rehab the other day. Now, my mom goes to some rehabilitation stuff, so she works out a little bit, and they work with her, and so she's gotten to know those people. And she says, well, Carrie, when I was at rehab the other day, the few people that I really do interact with a lot, they started talking about how you get to heaven. And I just sort of eavesdropped, and I said, well, this will be interesting to see where it goes. And different ones that she knew were talking about this and that. And they sort of came down. One person says, well, I don't know. I just sort of do my best. I do my best, and I hope that's good enough. Norma Jean, what do you think? That's my mom's name. Well, I think it's only through Jesus Christ and a relationship with him that you're able to get into heaven. Well, there went that conversation in rehab where everything <laughs> shut down. But I thought, here's my mom in her 80s, and she's got an oikos. She's got some people she can influence. Friends, you have people you can influence. Open your eyes, look around. What are the open doors? That's your job. This mission this week is for you to share, maybe not in word, but in life and in deed first. But there will come a time when you have to share words. The gospel and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ the Apostle Paul said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to all those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is declared, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm not saying you need to be the Apostle Paul, but I am saying you need to be yourself, and you need to take a look at opportunities for you to be able to be of influence. Do you care that people are lost? We were at, what was the beach we were at yesterday? Doheny? Over by Dana Point. And you've been there at the state park. Go up over that Ortega Highway. That's always a fun roller coaster ride, isn't it? Over to the coast. We spent the day there. There's 12 of us that were packing it out this week uh, as family and friends in town and had all the chairs lined up. We played some volleyball. They had the surfboards. They'd done that. And we're getting ready to sort of get cleaned up. I went to the restroom to help uh, Levi get some change done with his clothes and come back. And all of a sudden, there's a helicopter flying overhead. And the helicopter is not just flying overhead. The helicopter is talking. The helicopter is blaring out, attention, attention. There's a five-year-old. We're looking for a five-year-old that has been lost. Now, friends, if it gets to the helicopter level, you as a parent are freaking out, right? And it lasted a long time. It kept going on and on. And I, my, I, my truck was parked about a half mile away, so I got the keys and I started heading down the beach to where it was parked. And as I'm heading down the beach, I, I started to walk through the, the campgrounds there in Doheny Beach. And, and, 
and you could tell it was the buzz. Everybody had the buzz. It was on the beach. It was in the campgrounds, buzz, looking for a girl, those kinds of things. My gosh, you know what's going on? I heard a conversation. She was dressed in stripes. She had dark hair. These people were talking about there were cops lined up. Another cop car came pulling in. And then I had to cut back out on the beach. And as I cut back down on the beach, I saw the cop standing there talking to probably her parents. And he's writing stuff down. And maybe it was a grandma that was sitting there. And she was just head buried like this. And I look out on the water. That's scary. The Coast Guard has a boat out there. It's drifting around. Why the helicopter continues to fly and to fly. What do you think it was? 20 minutes? Maybe half an hour? What are you doing the moment? You just pray. I finally get to my tuck, truck, walk past some restrooms. A cop had been looking in. I get in my truck. I get back to where we're going to load things up. And the first words that spoken to me by my family was, <clears throat> they found the girl. We had just circled up and prayed. They found the girl. And, and another guy rides his bike by, and he says, they found the girl. They found the girl. We've lost our children before. I'm sure you maybe have. We have one that's prone to being lost a lot when he was younger. (laughs) And one time we lost him on a beach in El Salvador, and we were really freaking out. He had found some restroom in some obscure place, and that's where he had been bunkered for a while. All attention goes to a child that's lost. Do you have that kind of attention? That goes to those that are in your oikos. They're lost. I'm sorry. You may try to make believe you live in a a tolerant and everybody's going to pass kind of world. But the scriptures are clear. Without Christ, you are lost. It is appointed to man once to die and after that the judgment. And it is only through Christ that you have salvation. He is the door. Friends, we as a people in this church, and I, beginning with me in my life, may we have a passion for lost people. We never know what a day holds. And may we diligently work befriending, encouraging, not people as projects, but people that are loved by Jesus that he died on a cross for. And may we see a fire of passion set down in their souls to love God with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He knows their deeds. This small group of people, I know that you have little strength. Actually means little power, and it's not a demeaning thing, because when you have power, if it's the power of Christ, then you have a lot of power, right? It doesn't matter if you have a little nuclear bomb or a big nuclear bomb. If it's nuclear, it's good. You have a little power. You have a little strength. So take that. And you have kept my word. You've been obedient. And you have not denied my name. I thought of my mom this week with that one. She could have just sat there on her little treadmill or whatever and went, whatever. She says, no, it's only through Jesus. See, there's things that mark this congregation and should mark your life. An acknowledgement of where your strength and power comes from. Obedience to God's word. And do not deny his name in the settings that you may be in. 
Verse 9 is interesting. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. They had opposition there. And he was just simply saying to this, when the end comes, when all time's there, they're going to acknowledge who I am. You're in the right. Be bold. Be bold and don't be taken back, even if they shut you out of their own synagogue because you are now a Christian. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Next week, we're going to pick up right here. Even though it's not a week on one of the churches, it's a week of the fourfold gospel series we've been doing. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer. We've looked at all three of those. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus Christ, our coming King. And we're going to tap into the verse. We're going to give some reflection even back with these churches of Revelation because the book of Revelation is about our coming King. Know this. That God's favor does not rest on your perfection, but on faithfulness, his and yours. And know this, that we need to be a people, individuals and a church family who are praying for open doors of opportunity to reach those who need to know Christ. Becca is going to come and she's going to close just with an acoustic um, run through of that song that we closed our worship block with. As she comes, I want the ushers to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as the connection cards. Kids, if you've got pictures of whatever you decided to draw pictures of, then uh, take those pictures and send them to Melissa. But I want us to pray. Let's sing this song, give our offerings to him, and let's head out into our mission field this week. Lord, here today...